God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Happy 125th anniversary, Knox Church. We officially kick off that celebration that we will continue with this year. And today in particular, as we have heard, we're celebrating the music ministry of Knox down through the ages. And we give thanks for all the sacred music that has ever been sung and played and made here at Knox. Thank you all and thank you God. Worshiping with music is a vital part of the people of faith. The songs we sing here together are our prayers. Our Bible has an entire book of sung prayers from our Hebrew brothers and sisters, the book of Psalms. And each one gives voice to people's joy, sorrow, anger. It helps them celebrate. The songs help them in times of confusion, when they need to complain, and when they're grateful. From Israel's kings to peasant pilgrims, God's people have been singing to God for all kinds of reasons since the very beginning. The poet John Donne illustrates the power of prayer And today we heard illustrated and heard the power of prayer put to music and song. This commissioned anthem we heard, we hear John Donne's words, Batter my heart, O God. Bend your force to make me new. Donne feels estranged from God through some life events or something in the world. His devotion has been taken captive. He's tried to get back to God. He has felt far from the peace of Christ. He sees no other way except for God to force him back into submission, into devotion. It sounds quite brutal, but it is brutally honest. And songs help us be honest in ways that maybe our usual words would not allow us. And God wants our honest selves. However we come here today, whatever season we are in, our sacred songs serve as our prayers to God who is ever listening. We celebrate the building of Knox Church. The very first building was at Shaw in Erie, and the song that opened our worship today was the first hymn sung at the Cornerstone Lane way back then. But before Knox Church ever was a building, it was a congregation that met in homes. Just like the very first church we read about in the book of Acts in the scriptures. And today our gospel lesson from Matthew shows us how the seeds of that first house church were planted as Jesus officially begins his public ministry and starts gathering his disciples. At this point in the gospel, Jesus had just experienced 40 days in the wilderness, having been led there by the Spirit of God after his baptism. And in the wilderness, he fasted, he prayed, he underwent preparations for his ministry, which probably at that point he had no real idea what that would involve. But he trusted God, and he followed the Spirit. And near the end of his time in the wilderness, the devil appeared, we are told, tempting him and testing him, inviting him to forsake his God-reliance for self-reliance, 
to seek power, control, and glory for himself. Jesus, an observant Jew, surely knew the Psalms. As he prayed during that extremely difficult time, maybe he too cried to God in song. Perhaps from Psalm 102, Hear my prayer, O God, and let my cry come to your ears. I am like a little owl here in the barren wasteland. I am like a lonely bird on a rooftop. Answer me speedily, he sings. And God sustained Jesus in faith during that great time of testing. He comes out of that wilderness time to some distressing news, his own heart feeling perhaps very battered. He heard that John the Baptist had been arrested and sits in prison for criticizing King Herod's immorality. New Testament scholar Raj Madela cites that there are sources that suggest John challenged the whole empire of Rome and their oppressive economic practices carried out by their puppet King Herod. These practices led to the death of many who lived on the margins. And the Roman Empire did everything it could to eliminate people like John. For Jesus, John's imprisonment would have signaled danger for himself a foreshadowing of much greater suffering. For Jesus was a disciple of John. It's likely they were very close. Their mothers were cousins, Mary and Elizabeth, both women women having miraculous pregnancies. The lives of John and Jesus both were prophesied about before they were born, that each would be a prophet. Each would prepare the world for the way of God's kingdom each in their own way, according to how God would call them. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness, Repent and believe the good news, he preached, and receive the baptism of forgiveness. John grew crowds of the hopeless and the hopeful, of skeptics and believers. And Jesus was one who followed him. And he too, as we know, came to be baptized. But this is where Jesus' story diverts from the rest of the crowd. When he came up out of the baptismal waters of the Jordan, the Spirit of God, we're told, descended upon him like a dove. And the heavens opened, and a loud voice declared, This is my Son, whom I love. I am well pleased with him. And then it's that same spirit that drove him, led him into the wilderness where he abided for 40 days. And we can imagine him wondering at all of these events. Maybe he said, God, Dad, Abba, what does all this mean, really? The picture becomes more clear for Jesus as he comes out of the desert the news of John's arrest hitting him hard. We can imagine Jesus singing urgent prayers as grief engulfs him, seeking God's comfort over the loss of his friend, his teacher. Maybe he sang Psalm 6, Have mercy on me, O God, for I languish. My bed is drenched with tears. My eyes are weary from grief. As fear consumes him, maybe he sang Psalm 27, 
Hear me, God, when I cry out loud. Answer me. Be my salvation. The song leading him to hope, to the truth of who God is. And we imagine Jesus singing on, For you, God, are my salvation. You will shelter me in the day of trouble. And now my head is lifted in hope, high above my enemies that surround me. And I will offer you thanks and praise, O God. I will sing and make melody to you. Jesus experiencing in these moments yet another wilderness experience is consoled by the scriptural songs of consolation that assure him of God's faithful presence, the power of God's love. And Jesus is resolved to continue to seek after God's will and to carry it out. And in his grief with his battered heart, he does not retreat into himself. He does not go into hiding from the empire. On the contrary, he gets busy. He follows in John's footsteps. And with courage, he relocates. The text tells us he withdrew to Galilee. And that word withdrew in the Greek conveys a sense of not just leaving, but fleeing with haste. Just as he and his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, were forced to do shortly after he was born. The same word, the same kind of fleeing at that time from the danger of King Herod. So now he makes his home in Galilee spatially. And as New Testament scholar Nadella points out, missionally speaking, Jesus boldly stepped right into the heart of the empire, right into the danger zone, so that he could lead others to safety, so he could lead them from darkness to light, from death to salvation. And he knows that wherever he may call home, he goes with God. And we can hear him sing again the psalm of assurance, I will dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life to behold God's beauty. So there in Galilee, he begins preaching the same sermon that John the Baptist preached. Repent, believe the good news, Jesus says. And as those words call forth from his heart and fall from his tongue, he pauses. And Father Richard Bowman, preaching on this text, invites us to imagine Jesus in that pause, saying those words again to himself. Repent. Believe the good news. Perhaps to remind himself to let go of his own doubts, to turn over to God his own fears, saying, God, yes, this is good news for me and for all. Okay, God, let's go. And then he looks up on the shore of Galilee. He sees two sets of brothers, fishermen, And he calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. They immediately drop their nets, asking nothing, saying nothing. And they follow with a song of faith and hope and God's good news on their heart. We can hear those first disciples sing, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He leads me in right paths. He restores my soul. And Jesus would go on from there to call more followers, women and men, to join him as proclaimers of God's good news. Like all of us, Jesus needed a community, and with great intention he set about to create one. Those were precarious and fearful times under Roman occupation. The urgency for God's good news was real. The need for hope in that suffering and despair was urgent. My friend Karen is a chaplain at a hospital working mostly with children on a floor where death is common. And in the wake of deep sorrow and confusion that families face on a daily basis there, she witnesses this need for community when families come together in their deep grief, putting aside differences and worldly concerns to be together for what really matters, to weep with one another, embrace one another, and support one another. We are all spiritual beings designed for spiritual community that goes beyond walls and the material. And it's that spiritual community that Jesus and his followers needed at their core and sought out. Those first disciples heard in Jesus something new that drew them in, tugging at their deep desire for togetherness. And they went, still as fishermen, Jesus promising to use the skills they already had to be loving servants of God's realm. Just as they were, they would be used to preach God's news of forgiveness and pure acceptance and love unending. So there with Jesus, their hands empty, their hearts open, they were following into something brand new to tell Jews and Gentiles and anyone who would listen that though the world may seem to overcome them, Jesus, who would later preach this shortly before his death, said, I have, come, I have overcome the world with God's peace, for I give an eternal kind of peace, not the kind the world gives you promised through your bank account, your achievements, your prestige, yours or your children's successes, how many friends you have or how functional your family is, none of that lasts and none of that matters in the eyes of God. We are each worthy right now in God's eyes. So stick with God, Jesus said. Stick with me and I'll show you the way to true life and I'll grow you in faith, hope, and love. This is your salvation. This is our song. Friends, Jesus is calling us today to join the spiritual community of good news people, proclaiming with our lives the freedom that God created us for, that we might know in part today or maybe we feel far away from. But Jesus calls us just as we are, to use our giftedness in new ways beyond our imagination. We're called to come as teacher, therapist, custodian, student, restaurant worker, volunteer, executive or unemployed, single, partnered, newlywed or widowed, 
healthy or sick, mother of a newborn or an empty nest father, young and old and in between, and whether you feel completely broken and battered or high on a mountaintop, God knows and receives you, has great plans for you. And God also says the way is not easy, but I will keep you every day. If you are wondering what you could possibly give to God, how God may use you to proclaim the good news, we can sing the verse of the poem put to music at Christmas time, which we sing every Christmas here, as Shirley Rout pointed out. What can I give, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. For friends, when we give our hearts to God, our lives follow. This is our song. Thanks be to God.